Falsha, 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 Akharja Gale, Kajemaratashiv. This is episode 64 of the Rebel Matters podcast. And I hope you're all keeping well and healthy. If you're like myself and you're inside the house for most of the day now, I hope you're also keeping sane and managing to use the time for something useful. Spending a bit of time learning something new or doing something creative or getting to spend more time with your family, reconnecting with your friends over the interwebs and through your phone and taking a bit of downtime and accepting this slowed down pace of life as a good opportunity to get to know yourself a little bit better, learn new stuff, heal and to breathe. And if you're not at home all day, then I'm assuming that you're doing something that's very important at the minute and that is working on the front line against the coronavirus and as bad as things are right now for all of us who might not be able to go to work or are spending a lot of time at home or killing each other if you're stuck inside with your family or friends it would be a lot worse if we didn't have the people on the front line working in the shops and in healthcare and looking after the people who are sick and doing everything they can to keep the spread of the virus at bay. It would be a lot worse if those people weren't there. So, Gurkhead Milamayagov to all those people who are putting themselves at risk by being at work and who are out there doing whatever they can to help keep people safe. This week's episode is another one that I recorded over in Palestine a few weeks ago just before this all kicked off it's with Huba and Ahmed Madan who are two brothers who grew up just outside the Balata refugee camp which is in the city of Nablus this podcast was recorded in uh, We Rock Claiming and Gym Space that Ahmad runs in Ramallah we recorded it immediately after we recorded the episode with Misa which was out two episodes ago which was really well received so thanks very much for everyone who got in touch about that episode the lads are dancers and circus performers they are climbers and trainers and such nice guys we just connected with them so well from the very minute that we got in touch with them we made contact through jenny higgins who also has an episode of the podcast and who has a project in gaza they opened the yoga and circus hub for women in gaza and jenny put us in contact with the lads when we were in ramallah and to give a bit of context the refugee camp that they grew up right beside the Balada refugee camp. I've been there twice. And it's probably the grimmest place I've ever visited in terms of how squashed the people are and the oppression that the people are forced to live under there. The houses in the Balada refugee camp are so close together that you have to walk down sideways, down some of them, to get out the other side. And then the place that we video we recorded the podcast, uh, just like the episode that um, we recorded with Misa, Alex Sampson was in the room as well, as was Kate Maher and Sally McMonagall, who were both on the crew who came over to Palestine to get that Ackley Palestine community gym set up. We went to Ramallah. We came from Bethlehem. So it meant that we had to go through the checkpoint at Bethlehem, checkpoint 300, and then get a bus from Jerusalem, from the other side of, sorry, of the checkpoint to Jerusalem. And a very, I suppose, maybe serendipitous or sad or something happened on the bus that in many ways kind of sums up or is typical of what's happening in Palestine. Two days before we we made this trip to Ramallah to 
meet with Mesa and meet with the two boys. We were in the village of Alawalaja, which is home to the oldest olive tree in the world, over five and a half thousand years old. And there's a chap there called Salah who looks after the tree. I've been there before, but it was great to go back. We ate some olives from the tree. Salah spoke to us and we hung around the tree. But Alawalaja is being completely squashed on all sides by the occupation, by the separation wall. Like geographically and socially and in every way that you can think of, Alawalaja is being squeezed. There's house demolitions there. Uh, the apartheid wall is built at 20 metres from the oldest olive tree in the world. And when they built the wall, they damaged the natural springs that was like the lifeblood for the farmers and for the agricultural life around there and damaged these ancient springs that are no longer able to function as natural clean water springs anymore because they were damaged underground by the building of the wall. But we went up and visited an old man in Alvolaja who shared a story with us and kind of shared his story how the, the Israelis just confiscated a lot of his land, the land that he had on his family for a long time and was giving us a, a really nice insight into what life was like for him. And he was very curious to hear why we were there as well. We had a great chat with him, just sat, sat around in the living room. And when we were going from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, we went through Checkpoint 300, which is like the main checkpoint to get into Jerusalem from Bethlehem. At half four every morning, there are hundreds and hundreds of people that have to go to Jerusalem for work are squashed into this checkpoint. Like, you wouldn't even squash chickens into a cage the way that they're squashed in on top of each other. And they're there for hours. They normally start getting there about half past four in the morning so they can get to work for around nine. So there's a really long wait in, the, in these cages. You can look it up, actually, checkpoint 300. At the time we went through it, it wasn't that busy. We just had to wait there and give our IDs and stuff like that. And... One thing that's always very important to mention as a visitor to Palestine and going through the checkpoints and stuff like that there, as shit as it might seem for visitors like us, it's infinitely worse for the Palestinians who have to go through those things every day and many more suffer many more crimes against their civil rights every single day. So we went through the checkpoint anyway and it's good to go through the checkpoint to, to get a small bit of an experience of what it's like for Palestinians every day, but um, it is very important to say that we're there as, as kind of like just a sample of what life is like, what life is like there for Palestinians, and they go through it all the time. We came out anyway, and we got on the bus to bring us into Jerusalem. And when we got on the bus, the man that we met in Al-Balaja was on the bus as well, and he only had a little bit of English, but he managed to tell us, we were talking a little bit to him, that he was on the way to Jerusalem to go to court to represent himself because the Israelis had given him a demolition order for his house, a small house that he was after building on his land. And the way it works out there is if you get a demolition order from the army like that, you've got two options. You get a hammer and you demolish it yourself or they'll come and demolish it for you and then they'll give you the bill for the demolition. So he was going to court to try and um, get the demolition order, I guess, reversed. I was just very sad because we had just been speaking to him two days before that and then there he is on his way to court to represent himself to try and stop him from taking his house to pieces. Anyway, we got to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is, is in many ways, it's it's a quite an intense place to be because it's the sort of epicenter for the um, main Muslim sites, the main Jewish sites, main Christian sites, and the Armenian churches are as well. And in comparison to Bethlehem, Jerusalem has got a much higher security presence on the streets and everything like that. And uh, the atmosphere there can change at the drop of a hat. The If something happens, then the soldiers shut down the whole old city and the atmosphere changes very fast there. 
but anyway, we got the bus to Ramallah and then we had to go to the Kalandia checkpoint, which is the biggest crossing. I think it's the biggest checkpoint crossing in the West Bank. It's between Jerusalem and Ramallah and we went through there. It's worth looking looking that up as well. And then we went up and did the podcast with Misa and then after that we went, we went and met the two lads. And it's a pity we didn't have more time to, to spend with them, but uh, we had to get back because we were there to to get the Ackley Palace place set up and that was quite a tight schedule being over there, but it was really good to meet them. And um, you'll hear how hard they've worked over the last number of years to, to build the skills in their crafts and how the whole life under occupation has affected them. And... It's a really good insight into what life is like as a performer or as an artist or as someone who wants to do something creative under this kind of occupation. It's very difficult and it's a massive credit to the lads that they have developed themselves to such a high level. I would really go and see their Instagram um, pages and uh, check out some of the stuff that, that they're doing. Uh, I'll actually give you the Instagram pages now while I have these here. So Ahmed's one is at A-H-M-I-D underscore R underscore H. Right? And then let me just check up for Huba's one here if I can get the internet working. Huba's one is H-O-B-A underscore H-M-I-D-A-N on Instagram. Check them out, let's and follow them. It's unreal. At the minute, it really feels like the whole world is united in one struggle against the coronavirus. So I want to take this moment to send out love from Cork to everyone who's listening to this podcast in every county in Ireland and every country outside of Ireland as well. The episodes when the guest is from a country far and away from Ireland always gets a lot of listeners from that country as well. So special shout out and special sending of love to all our brothers and sisters in Palestine. For anybody who's listening to this that's from Ireland, you'll all know Michal O'Murty. And for everyone who's listening outside of Ireland who might not know who Michal O'Murty is, he is a national treasure and a sports commentator and an all-round legend. He was on the TV on Friday night and he brought up a very lovely old Irish shanuckle or a proverb to um, it was the thing that was kind of keeping him going and getting up out of bed in the morning Dushacht le Durhacht le Bracu and Lay Rise with hope with the dawn of the day I just thought that was class and I've been repeating that shanuckle to myself quite a few times every day since I uh, heard it on the telly and I just wanted to share it with you. Anyway, just before we crack on with the chats, I just want to drop a very special thank you to everyone who's been supporting the podcast on uh, Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Rebel Matters Podcast is where you can go if you want to become a patron of the podcast, get early access to the episodes and contribute to the ongoing production and survival of the Rebel Matters podcast. There's been a good few people signed up to it in the last few weeks, which really means a lot. And I've also done a bit of work on the website for the podcast, rebelmatters.ie. A couple of blog posts up there and all the episodes are available on rebelmatters.ie and also on all the standard podcast platforms. So um, there's a bit of momentum behind the podcast now and I'm using this time that we have uh, at home to build on what we've already had for the podcast build a little community around the podcast and to really help the podcast get a bit of a foothold so that we can go and find more class guests and have chats with them and make the episodes so all you can have them to listen to so if you're a patron of the show then it means that you're helping big time to make that happen and if you want to become a patron of the show then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Rebel Matters. And if you don't, or you can't, then that's sweet, because the podcast is free on all platforms and on rebelmatters.ie. 
as usual, there's a bit of story time at the end of this episode. After the outro music, I'm reading a chapter of Roald Dahl's book, The Boy Tales of Childhood. It's the second last chapter. And if you want to go back to the start of the book, then go back to episode 51. And the first chapter is at the end of that episode. So it means that the next episode is going to have the last chapter in it. And we're going to have to find something else to read. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Anyway, let's get stuck into episode 64 with Huba and Ahmed, Prince Altas. Ahmed, thanks very much for like taking the time to show us around and also for doing this like little chat. Um, I don't know, do you guys want to maybe speak a little bit, uh, like maybe introduce yourselves or something like that? Okay. Um, so, sure. you can okay, start by myself. So, at the beginning, you are more than welcome, guys, and uh, I hope that we had more time like, to go around and see more stuff. So, I'm Huba Hamidan. My real name is Abdulhab, Abdulhab Hamidan, but my nickname, the artistic one, is Huba. I do acrobatics and circus since 10, 11 years. Yeah, I th- started with my brother, Ahmed. And then like I, I entered many different specializations. So I do circus, dance, parkour, acrobatic, gymnastics. Yeah, many different fields. And I do many performances inside and outside the country. I do workshops also with the refugee camps and many other stuff. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. My name is Ahmad and I'm 27 years old. I started circus since 2010 until today, so it's around 10 years of working hard and practicing and so on. Mm, and I studied tourism and archaeology five years at Al-Najah National University in my city, but I'm not working on it because I don't like it. And <laughs> I don't get, it wasn't actually my choice. After I graduate, like after I finish my high school, you know, you need to study at university. This is how it here. So I wasn't ready to choose my specialization. And my family, they said, if you want to get money, just go to this specialization. It's good. And everyone take wrong decisions. <laughs> so yeah. And I even didn't get my certification because I'm not hoping to work here with the, the salaries, like in general. Um, I've been a few times to Europe, five times, and every time I come, I charge myself with good energy, with like good artists, and I come to practice by myself or with artists that I could see by coincidence. I'm happy to meet you guys today. Thank you. So you guys grew up in Nablus? Yeah, we are at the camp. Yeah. Palata camp. So you do you grew up in the camp? Or? For me, like I studied nine years in the camp, so like our neighborhood like is only two minutes yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah we grew up in the camp environment. What well, how, how was that? Um, we didn't like it actually, and it was actually a lot of um, clashes and. Uh, between the Israeli and Palestinian, like shooting, killing, fighting, violence every day. So well, that's what I remember most of my child when I was a child. Which one of you is older? So, he's the younger. Yeah, younger. What is he? My is I'm 23 years. Okay, so awesome. yeah. four years. Four years. Four, four years difference. So you guys could, yeah. and like. So were you, were you guys kind of like involved in like when the classes were happening? Were you being kind of in the middle of it at the time when you were kids? Like our family, they like really take care of us. So like for us, like we really like to go and see what's going on. Like even like when we come back from the schools and when, they, when the Israelis enter to the camp. So we are really like pushing hard to go and see and fight and be with the others. But our family, they were really like so hard to keep us in the, in the house. Even they were closing the door and I say it's not allowed. For yeah, but for us, like was a passion just 
go to the street with the other kids and do what they do, yeah, like throw stones, throwing stones yeah. on the jeeps, the soldiers' jeeps. It was fun actually, and yeah. we really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. like when you run and stuff in between and you hide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and, and we, we never knew about sports or like circus or acrobatics or dance because we have like other situations that we're having it every day so we kind of we are not having a good environment like a, and like other people that we can like learn from or see other like new things beautiful things what happened that you guys ended up getting involved with the service Actually, we started like by seeing TV shows like with us for a circus. So we get the passion from there, like to do something and like to improve ourselves on it. Then we start by ourselves, like on the on our home and even the neighborhood. Yeah, they were yeah like we tried two years just on the mattress in our home. Yeah, you know? no teacher, no, no one. Um, Most of the time, like we were the only teachers of ourselves. You know, yeah. like and we had many. We're just copying, but we worry we because. It's dangerous, especially the flips, and we don't have equipment yeah. for flipping and so on. Mm. So we just look at it, and it looks so easy. So we're not following the technique, we're just following things that we see, yeah. you know? So yeah. it was really hard to learn. Like, mm. two years, we learned a few tricks, but... Oh, we've been just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just like repeating um, the things that we see, which is not in correct way. We even rebrand... Um, paying attention for tutorials or even speaking English we've been um, without language like to search on YouTube because if you search in Arabic I don't know if you will find it because <laughs> it's mostly English <laughs> yeah. you know? Then now, yeah it's not easy even you know like we've, we were looking for many places to go involved like to improve ourselves so we went to karate places like because we want to do like the acrobatics or the flips or anything like that. so yeah it was the but most was, yeah, the popular first thing for us like to go to karate the so we went there for karate for three four years mm. like because we really love to do the other things but there is no opportunity only karate mm. yeah mm. Did you guys have any bad accidents when you were learning? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> like after um, we start for the circus learn by coincidence, we found association like so for beginners teaching circus, and we learned like the backflip. Like for me, I learned it after eight months. It took me a while because I'm not a good teacher, and I'm just you know we trying to do like to encourage each other and to try by ourselves. So after I made it, I tried it on a show. Then I fell on my neck, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, what, like, what happened? <laughs> no, just two weeks, I stuck on my right side, you know, but... After he fell down. But I survived. It. He kept going, like, as a clown. Like, you know when you have adrenaline from the people and yeah. you want to do the best for them. So we finished the show with just simple acrobatic tricks and I wanted to end up with my best trick at the end of the show. So I just like flip it and I did half of it. Then the other half I was on my head. <laughs> it was really hurting. And another injury I had uh, during a parkour class at my university. So I had inflammation in my shoulder for eight months. So it was really like stopping, like cutting my way, pausing me to keep practicing and the training, which is something I love to do every day. Has your guys' involvement with circus and parkour and things like that been kind of uh, a way to uh, like somehow deal with like the occupation and everything that's going on in life around here? Like to improve us, you mean? Yeah, like, like has it been sort of like a, a way out in some uh, ways? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like for, for us, like the only way like to express ourselves or to feel ourselves, you know, like you're gonna run away from the life that you, you got like to practice your, like the circus or your handstand, to be really like forget everything, like even like the, all the negative energies, all the things surrounded around you, so you do practice yourself like to, to forget that stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was like such a good motivation for us 
to improve ourselves. Even like when we start like the first years on the circus and we were meeting many foreigners, like the beginning, it was like a dream for us. Like we, we, we were never like imagine ourselves to be in that place. Even the first time we traveled was in 2010, yeah. 11, yeah. yeah, 2011. Like it was like a dream, you know, like we were not expect anything like to travel. Like yeah. suddenly, I don't know, like we were in Germany. What? Like such a really big world around us. So your mentality, your way of thinking became everything like much more bigger. Yeah, we, we yeah. never expected actually. Yeah. yeah. And we never thought it's easy, like, because if you're not having language relationship with other people, and it's hard to travel, you know, and to get the visa and so on. So by circus, we could actually visit many places and meet many people, culture exchange and mm. good communication. Is the movement is kind of like another language, in a way? The movements? Like, just your... Tr- Circus and like you're yeah, moving your body, yeah. it's like a different language that, yeah, like, even you know, music would you, be could, you could meet a friend without talking, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just by doing, by it's a body language, by moving. And this is like it's mm, this language between like all of the artists, I guess, and it's a really good way to communicate with anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was it hard for you guys to travel at all to do these things abroad? Yeah. Yeah, for me, I got the opportunities because I was member in a circus school, mm. okay? So they manage for everything, and they want me to travel with them because they need me for something, okay? But by myself, let's say, I'm having a good uh, ability. Uh, I'm an artist, but I'm not having someone to support me, like association. Mm-hmm. And if I go, go to the embassy to get a visa by myself, they need have reason like where you're going and many details many papers which is hard to prepare for yourself so for me I went three times with the association and by myself it was really hard so I waited until 2017 till I get a scholarship from a company that I were applying I was applying to it then it worked so by yourself it's not easy especially mm-hmm. as a Palestinian yeah. it's not easy at all to travel outside of Palestine like even like if you want to go to as a tourist you know you're not gonna eat the visa. That you, yeah. mm-hmm. there is many operation, many yeah. stuff you have to do before you get the visa. Okay. What are what are the worst things about like the most difficult things about life here? About the life here, everything, <laughs> everything. Well, yeah, for us as an artist, now, like as the you know, like I have done computer science and I went to a company like to study as a programmer. But really, you know, like the salaries that they get here and even the environment that you want to live to, there is no motivation. And all the people, the workers who work there, like away from the artistic world, they work because they need the money to live. Not like there is no passion for life. There is not, not more opportunity to do other stuff. And for me, like I decided like to not go to the programming way and to continue my life in the artistic way. And over here, the artistic way is really like nothing. You not live with it as an artist or, or even like as an athlete or anything. So for me, the last travel that I traveled like before a week, you can say, like it opened many things in my mind. Like I did not travel like since a while, but in this one, like I found it really like I need the motivation that I get when I was like at the beginning of my way. Like you need motivation, like support from the people who's around you to push you, like to to give more max from that. But here, like the people, they really like when you are with because like they see you as a motivational for them. But for yourself, after the time, like each time, like you give energies, energies. But yourself, you need energies like to push yourself. Mm-hmm. And I found it like if I need, I need that energies like in the artistic way. By being not an artist, it's not here. You know? Why is it difficult to be an artist here? Okay, for for me, um, let's say I've been doing four years of circus volunteering I got a lot of experience which is I wanted just to have it I didn't want to have money and so on but then I wanted to have a work and so on while I was studying so when you want to have it as a career it's really hard like it's not easy to get money and to have association who will like give you a good place to work and get money so the association want free things they want everything for free even the association the circus where we've been they, they want to keep us just to serve the circus, and they get money. The manager get money, and he built something. He, his, like he, 
the best striker yeah. in Palestine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the one, one in Nablus. Yeah. But you know, like even also in the performances that we do outside, like for us, we work all the year training, training ourselves, like to get the opportunity to travel. And when we go to travel, like we want to just to have fun and see. Yeah, either. and for them yeah. it's business. Yeah, you know? they get work. Like we do, like the last travel that Ahmed did with the circus, like they did around 40 shows in one month, and they will get paid all of that, like for the circus school, but not none of the yeah. artists. And for us, we were like, okay, we're happy, we're, we're traveling, which is not yeah. easy to travel and to do culture exchange and so on. But for them, it's worse. So when we try to have it as a career to get money, we found our, like, the association don't support us because he told me, okay, we have enough teachers and we don't need you. And if I'm going to do it by myself, it's not easy, you know, to promote for yourself and to see people who could pay to have classes and so on. So, and this is something I love to work with and I love to do, but I don't want to do it just for free because yeah, I did exactly. it. I had it already for free and I want like, to get money to live because it's not easy just to give everything for free and mm-hmm. you're not get, getting money to live. So what do you guys do then? Do you have other jobs that you're doing? Well, yeah. Like in 2016, uh, we kind of spread, like he's been studying and teaching maybe somewhere yeah I was teaching like a few gymnastic classes yeah he's not getting like good money but it's better than nothing and for me I went to work in the Israeli side because I went to get money and it was like illegal way which is really hard and obstacles and not easy at all so I'm just having my work there like I managed somehow to get it but it's not easy Mm. at all Mm. then like four years I've been working in a restaurant and just the practicing because I love the thing that I'm doing. Mm. Okay, even if I will not get money from it. You just, guys both teach. Do you guys teach in the Balada? Did you tell me that? You teach. Do you teach some classes in the? In Balada. The, yeah. Yeah. In the for me, center. Yeah. Recently, like I did some uh, classes with a association from here in Ramallah, like for three months. Yeah, I was the, giving like workshops for the kids in Balata camp, and there is in Shafat and Asker refugee camp, and different places. Also, like we we are doing like climbing trips for them, take the children, the kids, and we go them to the mountains and we do outdoor climbing. And the like the, the main aim for that program was like how to change the behavior of that students through the sport or through the climbing that you do, because like the environment over there, it's really the same environment that I grew up, and there is nothing changed. So it's the only way I have to. To affect the children's in un, in not direct way and direct way through the sports or through the thing that they really love. Did you see a change in them? You know, like change need such really a good time and like such for a long period. But they really like get changed. Even for me, like they always like texting me now, like when you gonna come back to train? We wanna yeah, yeah, you. And they were so happy. They were yeah, sending the some pictures for me. Like I always tell them, like even if you were at house, like same. What I was training by myself. I was doing split while I'm studying. All these small words, you know. <laughs> they were filming for me some pictures and send it to me. Like, when you, you gonna know, come? Back? The thing is, when we were in their age. We didn't find someone like to support us, to, to teach us, or like to have. Okay, this is my trainer. This is the one who I love to to learn with or to see. So for us, like now we motivate them, and they like to see us and to take from us, you know. But when we were like kids, we didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? And that I did, many kids they didn't get it because you cannot find like especially in, like I'm living in Palata camp and. I know only one guy who teach this guy. That's it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not having a place to practice with because they all busy with their own life and work and so on, studying. Trying to survive. But yeah. Mm. Like there is time if they want to like it, but it's not a common thing to do. Yeah. And like the environment in general, like you go to the parks there. It's so fucked up parks. You go yeah. to the street. It's not like... A nice place for for me. I like to train in public, and I used to do it near the beach and in public places, which is beautiful places. I feel like free and I like to do it. You know, because really new, like you want to do that. All you see here, just like chaos and fucked up streets, and okay, maybe the culture effect also, but like the environment. like the parks and the constructions, it's it's like not nice. It's not yeah. nice. Outside of the artistic side of things, like what are some of the most difficult things about life here? 
life here as like an artistic side. Yeah, outside of the artistic side, like just as just for regular yeah. people. You know, like for example, in my city in Nablus, in a national university, each year there is 25,000 students who graduate from the national university. In the university? Yeah, in oh. Nablus. But no one of them, like only few of them, who had the opportunity to get a work. So all of them, like after they finish, they go opportunity like to work in constructions or in many other different side, yeah. like, which is real. Like, even like whatever you have in the science, so there is no opportunity to work, you know. This really such, you imagine, like after all the year of studying, after that university, and here we pay such a good like, salary, like, compared to the salary, we pay a lot of money for the university, after that you get no opportunity mm-hmm. to work. So you have a work that you didn't really like, which is, yeah, I mean, as a young man, like you need money to live. It's, yeah, <coughs> yeah most, most of the people like studying at the university, it's like, it's a step especially the people who come from the village, okay? It's, they finish the high school and the university, it's a step. You need just to study, get your certification, then you work in construction or cleaning or with your dad business. And for us, we went because we were hoping that we will get a good job. Like we just finished the high school and I think it's, it's not a good way just to go to university after the high school because we are not having enough um, like things in our minds of what we're going to be or um, a, plan, a future plan of what we're going to work and if we will like our job of if we will get enough money to survive but we just heard our parents and they were wrong mm. and it's not just our family every family do you guys have any faith in like, the future that it will become better here? for me I don't think so. We have a video since 2010, and we had the documentary videos 2015, and yeah. we just saw Yesterday it. Yesterday we saw it. With you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so he did a video 2010, 2015. And the one 2015, 2015. she's a Danish girl, like she came to here, she's doing service, she was like, yeah, for one month with us, like making interviews and stuff. Oh. And we, when we saw the video yesterday, I said, fuck, we I'm saw not. Sh- sh- some nothing shots, changed, man. nothing like, changed, you know? Even like, like environment, even ourselves, like the thing that I have in 2000, 2000 m- maybe now, like the mentality is different. But for myself, like I went two months outside, I told them, like, it's like two years of experience, of encouraging, of many things outside. Yeah. But here, like, nothing. Like for us, the level that we get here, like there is no way to improve ourselves more in this situation. And do you guys ever get like think about the political situations, or do you just like the political things? Yeah, actually, yeah, we like we had enough of it actually, Um, but um, like we've been also facing some difficulties to get to the Israeli side when we permit we just want to go to, go to the sea for example and we having a permit and we've been suffering like eight hours just to get in while we having the permit because they more strike and I don't know like they just I don't know what to say okay same, like, even if you were legally, last time we, we got one month permit to the Israeli side, and we were legally, but the way that, that how they treat us or deal with us, the Israeli over there, humiliation. it was really humiliation of us, yeah. and we have our papers, and everything is legal, you know, Ooh. and we came here, like, I don't have my gun with me, I came here, like, with my, we were, like, wearing shorts, and we doing acrobatics and stuff on the beach, you know, like, and many people who came, like, and really, like, like what we do, uh, but they came and they hum- humiliate you in not a good way at all because, yeah, because you're Arab, Arab or Palestinian. Or Arab. And where, where was it in Tel Aviv or something? Yeah, Tel Aviv. So the soldiers just see you and come over. Yeah, like actually they know me because I've been like four years pretending as a foreigner while I was training at the beach. And once they they asked Ooh. me to speak by Italian and they knew that I'm from here. I told them everything. They, they took me to the bus, uh, police station, and 15 of them, they recognized my face, and they knew that, like, what the fuck, you're Arab, you're from Italy, no? And some of them, they were like Arab, like Arab police who belong to Israeli side. And after that time, every time they see me, they just come to, to ask about my permit. Um, yeah. 
apart from my permission. So yeah, when we were together, I thought like, she told me, I remember you, like we saw you two months ago, you came to the police station. I told them, okay, but the police just checked me a few hours ago. And she's like, this is my business, I need to check me. I told like, this is not logic. Every police will see me, will check my papers. Yeah. I don't yeah. like this way. So we just give them our papers because we don't want to make it more complicated. That's yeah. Because they can do whatever they want. Uh, and even like if you have the permit and uh, and you said like that from you are up there, the first question they gonna from where like Nablus West Bank, they gonna take you to the side and they gonna like search for everything about you. They gonna check you. They gonna humiliate you. Not a good way. Yeah, yeah. that that's yeah. what happened with me recently in Jerusalem. <coughs> I passed by the checkpoint with my electric bike, and I told them that, that I'm having permit, and but I didn't realize that it's expired. So they just took my ID and he told me like to get him. So I get him after two hours of touring in Jerusalem. I went to the central police station and they asked me again, where are you from? I'm from Nablus, where's your papers? Here are my papers. And he started checking, then my permit expired. So they arrested me like for two days and in a small place. Then I went to the court to the second day and my friend who's living in the Israeli side came to pay like 1,000 and to take responsibility of me if I, if I will be illegal again. So you will pay more. Is he an Israeli citizen? Mm-hmm. Is he an, an Israeli guy? He was an Israeli, an Israeli guy had to pay your yeah, thing? Yeah, but you need to be from the Israeli side. And if you don't have like friends, you maybe stay one week. Like I did nothing, you know? So I'm wondering about the people who are having politics problems or something with against them as um, you know like from the political side like yeah. fighting or shooting or killing what, so what, just being Palestinian you will be in trouble what do you guys like want for yourselves for the future <laughs> for me <coughs> or for you maybe <laughs> <laughs> you know like even, okay, I'm gonna keep going about the situation here. Even the Palestinian Authority here, they don't support us as a Palestinian Authority. Here, the Palestinian Authority, they are working for the Israeli, like in, not like in coordination. The table, you know, there is many things like that. Coordination. No, it's clear now. There's coordination. B- between the Palestinian and the Israeli, like anytime the Israeli, they want to come over here in the Palestinian side, so they contact them and they tell them we will be at this time, at this area. So all the Palestinian police, they go away from that area and they came, they're gonna bomb, break down, do anything, whatever they want, and they come back. Last time, when I was at my house, so they came to our house, to my house at two, at the midnight, yeah, and they came, they bombed the first door down, and they went to the stairs, we are on the third floor, I thought there is a thief who came to this, so I get afraid, so should I call the police or what, so I wake up my family, my brothers, and I looked from the window, then, like, I, I noticed that they are the Israelis. So I, I felt more safe because, like... Because they, they came in for, for specific for something. Like, to take someone. Yeah. So they bombed the door of my ankle, and they entered, and they were opening the door of my house. You know, just I wake up, they, open, they were opening the door of our house. So after that, they realized that they are in the wrong place. After my uncle, you talked to them that you are not like you, the person that you are looking for is not here. So they went out and they went to our neighbor house and house, that's it. You know, they can come whenever they want. Now, which is, I mean, for us as a living here, like, you're not going to live like in a comfortable way or you can't sleep each time like you have to be awake and aware from you, around you, like what's going on around you. Uh, not, not, not a good way. Yeah, about the situ- what what I hoping for me about the situation over here, like about the incubation to be in the incubation, and like if we want to come back, like to you know, like we are originally from Majd al Sadiq, which is near by Yafa and Lod, over there. Like even like if we want to come back to see our lands and to see like the incubation have to be in uh, in the Palestinian side. But for me as an artist, if I gonna keep going and I wanna send my message, like. I'm, it's not gonna be easy. Maybe I could send my message if I were on the other side and to be more effective than I'm here, you know? And even I can improve myself if I were on the other side, other place, not here. What, what's, what is your message? My message? You, about, you know, like, 
sometimes I'm thinking about myself, maybe if I were living in another place, maybe in Europe or if I grow in another place in the world, maybe I'd be a totally different person and I don't going to be that person who do circus or who do acrobatics or who do anything. Sometimes I think here, like I went to the, the to this field, the incubation pressure and the pressure of the environment that I left me that affected me to be more into this field and to improve myself into this field. So my message, like, uh, it's gonna be more affected about the place that I came to, you know. And here, like, as your country, you like, you have many things like to improve in your country. You know, like I belong to here, so if I'm gonna affect anything, it's gonna be many different affected, like to improve the things that happening over here, even like to, from the underground structures, everything over here. You know, yeah. there's too many negative things, and it's, it's not just from the occupation. It's from the occupation and from like the people, the, people, the, the government. Like we're not even. We don't have a good government who support like people who like to do sport or people who do arts in general. So that's effect on us, you know. And we feel it's easier, like let's say, okay, if you're gonna just keep waiting until the occupation like end, it will never end. Maybe maybe it will end after then, after 40 years, then you will be died probably. So we want like to be in a good environment, okay, and a good place. So we've been thinking. Um, to move to Europe for a bit, two years, three years, you know, and to see how that will affect in our thinking, you know, because if you just keep living in the same place, and you maybe will have the negative thinking. Maybe if you go out for three years, you will have a new like things to talk about mm. and the new you ideas. Yeah, mm. then you will come with something, something new to do here, to do projects mm. or to work with the kids who are living in the camp or wherever. But you cannot do it when you when there is no one support you. You know, like you are here, like you're nothing. If you even if you're like so good or if you're really um, doing good things or like no one knows you. Even if you do like promotion for yourself and so on, people not interested. Do you guys feel like you're doing something positive with the way that you guys are practicing your art and everything like that? Yeah, and I'm not I'm not sharing the negative things with the people who I teach or with the people who I meet. I meet in general. You know, I'm just giving them motivation. Like here in the gym, it was dead. Okay, and my friends telling me you may get alive. There is too much motivation. But no one's know how I feel. Okay, I'm not motivated, honestly. Okay, I had this situation before, and I had it many times. So I want something to motivate me. And so sometimes when I see people who are um, like really better than me or practicing hard, I would love like to spend time with them and to practice more hard. So this thing, I'm not sharing the negative like things with the people who don't who know nothing. I'm just sharing the good energies and you know, but I can feel the the negative thing, you know. It's such a nice space, and you guys are have such a positive energy, like from the second so we met you guys. I'm sorry for telling you some negative things. No, but no, this is how I say. Like sometimes we've been depression. Me and him, mm. like he came like from Europe after three months. And he came like, we want to do blah, blah, before he came. Then he got a lot of depression in yeah. the border from the Jordanian side. And then he, in Naples, he told him nothing changed, like the people, the minds. The, like, it needs a lot of work. And we need to, like, t- to be in a, another mm. place for some time. Even when we practice ourselves over here, like, we, we have in our, our mentalities that I, br- I get hard over here, like, because I want to be some, some time in the right place with the right people so I hope that it's gonna be soon and we've you know? been up, you know like we have Palestinian Circus and the Naples Circus I go to Naples Circus there is no like improvement there is it's not going up it was better before in 2010 Palestinian Circus School the same I go there I don't feel welcoming we kind of just a few artists and they are like trying to compete each other and which is you're nothing yet okay and I went there and I'm getting negative like positive maybe the wrong people in the right place but it's not how is it you know I went to Palestine and my friends came from 
uh, ACO, the Israeli side, they are Palestinian, Arabs Israel. So, um, like, Palestinian who lives in 48 land. So they came and they didn't, like, get energy or they said, we'll, we'll never come back. Because you will, like, you need to see, like, positive people in the right place when you go, for example, for example to Palestinian circus school and you just, like, see, like, low powers and low energy, which is not good. I was going to ask, um, so, obviously, we have a mutual friend in Jenny, the yeah. circus performer. Um, so what does it mean, like, do you get many people who come, like, her with a spe- specialist background in circus or, like, a performance art or anything like that, um, do you get many people like that coming? And also, what does that mean when you get people coming from, like, other countries who, like, want to kind of be those positive role models or, like, you know, specialists in the field? What does yeah. it mean to you? Um, like, you mean, like, meeting with... Um, the who came from yeah. outside. The artists who came from outside to support yeah. you. Oh. Okay, I think, you know, like, it depends on all the places that went, they went to. So they went to the art centers over here, so they get motivated. The people who, like, the, the new generations who, like, into, into art, you know, so they gonna build up the thing over there. And even, like, when they make the workshops on the camps, like, it became, like, only, like, workshop for one week, then they left, and the situation stayed the same over there. Mm-hmm. Nothing gonna be changed. Even, like, if you make an act or, or, or something over there, you made the activity there, then you left, and the, the old mentality came back to the same, to, came back to the same place. So the change, like, is not really, like, mm. from the root change, you know? Like, you make only effect from the upper side, then when you go away, the effect's back to the old one. Mm. But like in effect, it's effect for a good way for the artist, mm, like yeah, to like to improve them last. more, yeah, and mm. to open maybe, maybe their mentalities, what's going on over there, improve themselves, encourage them. But the change, I don't think, is from the roots. How do you guys do? You guys feel lucky to have each other, like because it seems like you guys train a lot together. Uh, we're trying actually, but um. And like we motivate each other and somehow, okay? We keep talking about like future plans we're gonna do, even if we're not doing, but we're talking about it, okay? <laughs> but but like my friends who I will like start circus with now, no one do circus. No one do art or training. The one who were motivated. They all us, work. You know? Yeah, they were our motivation we, when we start circus. They were better than us. So wow, this is our motivation. But now they Quit. All of them. All of yeah, them. They get married, some of them. Some of them get bored. They, there is no money from art. Mm. And there is another friend of us who's really close to us. Now he's in Berlin. He's living there. Yeah, he's 20 he's, years he old. He survived, yeah. this guy. <laughs> this one, like he... He's been doing parkour 10 years. And when he tried to get money from it as a career, he make a workshops here near... Uh, there is a good park near uh, the Tower of Ramallah. And just five shekel for one class, one class, two hours, and he got one students or two students. So he spends two years here of working in a restaurant and bullshit working to get money because what his plan was to move out of Palestine. And now he's in Berlin since two years. He's having a good job at a company, and he's he's so happy yeah. living in Berlin. Really good. Like he never been out of Palestine, and we can't see the difference. But yeah. he just even saying, his level, you know, like for, for the thing that we do, like his level it goes really yeah. high. And yeah. when I went to Berlin, I was there and I met his friends. Like they are really professional parkours, you know. And the environment that they train with, like, really push you to do more and more. Yeah. And he yeah. gonna like after six months, he will get like the passport to be there. Like he gets That's married. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, he married was planning to get the um, nationality and the passport. So he got married with a German girl, uh, just because of the papers. No, he loves her. That was a joke. Do you feel? Obviously, Berlin, you've been to Berlin. Have you been to Berlin as well? Yeah, first yeah. time. Being How does it feel for you? Because obviously, that was a place that had its own conflict. It's like a dream. And the wall 
but that like, all fell down and does that kind of like symbolize we, we saw the Berlin wall but it's lovely yeah. wall you know yeah. <laughs> that was a nice gallery yeah. Yeah. yeah if you so, compare it to this wall this one like you know yeah. like it was really dream for us mm. you know we we traveled from here and everything that we tried was in you know, like the plan the traveling uh, the organizing and then we went like to Germany wow everything is green it's clean places you feel like home out of the home you know mm-hmm. it's quite safe yeah this is, was like the first impression that we got about Europe mm. and we loved it we loved it what do you guys have coming up with your performances now we actually have been thinking to make documentary videos about us but I don't think it's like to do it I think it's maybe better that someone do it with us but we wanted to share many things about the community in general the country ourselves how we start and you know we just like wanted to keep it in a video in our like CV and they travel with it yeah. <clears throat> but we want to show the poor places our neighborhood where we're living yeah. the environment that we came from yeah it's so poor it's so poor we don't like it. <laughs> the transportation, everything is packed up. You know, like. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how can people follow what you guys are doing? Social media? Yeah. So we have an Instagram. Like, my name is Instagram. Hubah Midan and. Mm, Ahmad, yeah, Hamoud. Hamoud. <laughs> I think it's Also, like usually, like usually, even like for myself, like when I make the videos for myself and share it on the social media, like I get some time motivation, like from the social media to keep going myself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So like, yeah, sometimes you know, like the motivation. It's about people are watching. And like, yeah. for, yeah. But for you me, know, sometimes like when you even like when you post many things and you get after that like nothing, you know, even like no one work with you or you had nothing, you feel you get depressed also from the social media. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 right, man. First time I saw your Instagram, I was like, what is this guy doing? Man? <laughs> yeah, there's that one with your leg bending. I was like, you know, like <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. It was yeah. like. <laughs> What? <laughs> yes, he's standing up as he. Well, where's the ground? <laughs> when he seen that, he was like, "I think maybe I'm holding my phone upside down." Guys, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't follow gravity. Uh, you guys, and um, thanks, thanks so much for like sharing yeah. your story with us and taking this so really inspirational. Thank to you see so much. And I'm sorry for it, so. the negative thing that we we shared, but. We feel like we feel it, and it's a part of the life here. You yeah. know, but um, like it hasn't it's been a very positive thing, like meeting you guys. So just so you know, yeah. <laughs> thank you know, so it's not all negative. Thanks. Thanks. Welcome, guys. Yeah. Welcome to Palestine. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. from Roald Dahl's book Boy Tales of Childhood it's called Fagging and it's actually the last couple of chapters of the book so we'll have to come up with something else to read at the end of uh, the next episode if you want to hear the rest of this book go back to the end of episode 51 which is where the first chapter can be heard it's at the very end of the episode if you want to skip straight to that or just listen to the whole episode um, if you have a bit more time Anyway, this chapter is called Fagging and then I think there's a couple more chapters in the book but I'm just going to blast through them all there now. I think there's two chapters left. 
I spent two long years as a fag at Repton, which meant I was the servant of the study holder in those in whose study I had my little desk. If the study holder happened to be a house bozer, so much the worse for me because bozers were a dangerous breed. During my second term, I was unfortunate enough to be put into the study of the head of the house, a superlicious and obnoxious 17-year-old called Carleton. Carleton always looked at you right down the length of his nose, and even if you were as tall, as tall as him, which I happened to be, he would tilt his head back and still manage to look at you down the length of his nose. Carleton had three fags in his study, and all of us were terrified of him, especially on Sunday mornings, because Sunday was study cleaning time. All the fags in all the studies had to take off their jackets, roll up their sleeves, fetch buckets and floor cloths, and get down to cleaning out the study holder's study. And when I say cleaning out, I mean practically sterilising the place. We scrubbed the floor and washed the windows and polished the grit and dusted the ledges and wiped the picture frames and carefully tidied away all the hokey sticks and cricket bats and umbrellas. All that Sunday morning, we had been slogging away cleaning Carleton's study and then just before lunch, Carleton himself strode into the room and said, You've had long enough. Yes, Carleton, the three of us murmured, trembling. We stood back. Breathless from our exertions, compelled as always to wait and watch the dreadful Carleton while he performed the ritual of inspection. First of all, he would go to the drawer of his desk and take out a pure white cotton glove, which he slid with much ceremony onto his right hand. Then, taking as much care and time as a surgeon in an operating theatre, he would move slowly around the study, running his white gloved fingers all along the ledges, all along the tops of the picture frames, over the surfaces of the desks, and even over the bars of the fire grid. Every few seconds, he would hold those white fingers up close to his face, search for traces of dust, and we three fags would stand there watching him, hardly daring to breathe, waiting for the dreaded moment when the great man would stop and shout, Ha! What is this I see? A look of triumph would light up his face as he held up a white finger which had on it the tiniest smudge of grey dust, and he would stare at us with his slightly popped pale blue eyes and say, You haven't cleaned it, have you? You haven't bothered to clean my study properly. To the three of us fags who had been slaving away for the whole of the morning, those words were simply not true. We've cleaned every bit of it, Carleton, we would answer, every little bit. In that case, why has my finger got dust on it, Carleton would say tilting his head back and gazing at us down the length of his nose. This is dust, isn't it? We would step forward and peer at the white-gloved forefinger and at the tiny smidgen of dust that lay on it, and we would remain silent. I longed to point out to him that it was an actual impossibility to clean as much, clean a much-used room to the point where no speck of dust remained, but that would have been suicide. Do any of you dispute, dispute the fact that this is dust? Carleton would say still holding up his finger. If I'm wrong, do tell me. It isn't much dust, Carleton. I didn't ask you whether it was much dust or not much dust, Carleton would say. I simply asked you whether or not it was dust. Might it, for example, be iron filings or face powder instead? No, Carleton. Or crushed diamonds, maybe? No, Carleton. Then what is it? It's, it's dust, Carleton. Thank you, Carleton would say. And... At last, you have admitted that you failed to clean my study properly. I shall therefore see all three of you in the changing room tonight after prayers. The rules and rituals of fagging at Repton were so complicated that I could fill a whole book with them. A house bozer, for example, could make any fag in the house do his bidding. He could stand anywhere he wanted in the building, in the corridor, in the dressing room, in the changing room, in the yard, and yell, fag, at the top of his voice, and every fag in the place would have to drop what he was going, going, what he was doing and run flat out to the source of the noise. There was always a mad stampede when the call of fag echoed through the house because the last boy to arrive would invariably be chosen for whatever menial or unpleasant task the bozer had in mind. During my first term, I was in the changing room one day, just before lunch, scraping, scraping the mud from the soles of my study holder's football boots when I heard the famous shout of fag far away in the other end of the house. I dropped everything and ran, but I got there last, and the bozer who had done the shouting, a massive athlete called Wilberforce, said, Dal, come here. The other fags melted away with the speed of light, and I crept forward to receive my orders. Go and heat my seat in the bogs, Wilberforce said. I want it warm. 
I hadn't the faintest idea what any of this meant, but I already knew better than to ask questions of a poser. I hurried away and found a fellow fag who told me the meaning of this curious order. It meant that the boozer wished to use the lavatory, but that he wanted the seat warmed for him before he sat down. The six house lavatories, none with doors, were situated in an unheated outhouse. And on a cold day in winter, you could get frostbite out there if you stayed too long. This particular day was icy cold, and I went out there through the snow into the outhouse and entered number one lavatory, which I knew was reserved for bozers only. I wiped the frost off the seat with my handkerchief, then I lowered my trousers and sat down. I was there a full 15 minutes in the freezing cold before Wilberforce arrived on the scene. Have you got the ice off it? he asked. Yes, Wilberforce. Is it warm? It's as warm as I can get it, Wilberforce, I said. We shall soon find out. You can get off, you can get off now. I got off the lavatory seat and pulled up my trousers. Wilberforce lowered his own trousers and sat down. Very good, he said. Very good indeed. He was like a wine master sampling an old claret. I shall put you on my list, he added. I stood there doing up my fly buttons and not knowing what on earth he meant. Some fags have cold bottoms, he said, and some have hot ones. I only use hot bottomed fags to heat my bog seat. I won't forget you. He didn't. From then on, all through that winter, I became Wilberforce's favourite bog seat warmer, and I used always to keep a paperback book in in the pocket of my tailcoat to while away the long bog warming sessions. I must have read the entire work of Dickens sitting on that Bozer's bog during my first winter at Repton. <laughs>